welcome to Redefining Balance for Working Moms podcast, where we believe life balance is possible. Uh, Yes, even for you. You might just have to redefine what it looks like for yourself. I'm your host, fellow working mom and founder of Your Life Rocks, Jenny Stemmerman. Each week, I'll bring you practical, real-life tips to help you focus on the things that matter most in life and be the best version of yourself in every area that God has called you to. Ready to redefine what balance looks like for you and your life? Let's go. Hello there. Welcome to the show. I am so glad that you're here to hang out with us today because today we are kicking off a special series for the holiday season. Now, if you are new to the show, we are typically all about practical tips to help you move forward in all different types of areas of life, everything that God has called you to do. But for this Christmas season, we're doing something a little bit different. We are hearing stories from other working moms just like you in their walk with Jesus. And really, this fits right into balance. When we're talking about balance here at Your Life Rocks, which is the parent company that hosts this podcast, I guess I should back up. Your Life Rocks is a company that is really designed to help support working Christian moms. We have this podcast. We have a free app that you can download in the app store that has a lot of really great resources in there, a monthly lifestyle guide, some courses, some tools. And we also have a membership called Life Balance Membership. Now here at Your Life Rocks, we talk a lot about balance. And when we talk about balance, we say that balance is possible when you have three pillars. Number one is, of course, Jesus, because through him, all of the other things are possible. So we definitely put him first and foremost. And then the second pillar is community. And a big part of community is being able to hear other people's stories, to be able to pray for other people, because through that, our world becomes bigger and When our world becomes bigger, our problems become smaller. And the third pillar are systems, systems to help you have more balance, which reminds me, speaking of our free app, there is a free course in there called Holiday Sanity, and it is a great system to help you plan your holidays. Plus, there's a lot of bonus content in there for you as well. And if you don't want to get it inside the app, if you're more of a computer type of a person, you can go to HolidaySanity.com and sign up then as soon as you sign up, you can check your email and I will send you the link so that you can access that training completely for free. But back to this series. So this series, we are highlighting women in their walk with Jesus. One, because it helps us to keep our focus on Jesus while we go throughout this holiday season to hear testimony after testimony of what he is doing in the lives of other women. But as you're listening to these stories, I hope that you would pray for these women that you would hear maybe some similarities to some of the journey that God has had you on and the path that you're walking with Jesus as well. I'm really excited to bring this first interview to you because Jenna's story is so relatable. And while it's uniquely her own, I know that as she was telling it, I could see a lot of myself in her story and I could see a lot of other people that I know in her story as well. And as she shares her journey, you will see that the glory is all to God. And No matter what it is that you're walking through, I know that it will give you some hope, some inspiration, and most importantly, point you back to Jesus in the journey that you are on. I'm so excited to kick off this Walking with Jesus series with you. So let's get to it. Jenna, welcome to the show. I am so honored to have you on here and sharing your testimony about Jesus with all of us today. But before we get into your story, Share with us a little bit more about who you are. Sure. My name is Jenna Allerson, 
and I'm a homegrown Minnesota girl. I have two young boys, Owen and August, um, five and two. Um, I'm married to my college sweetheart. His name is Matt. We've been married about nine and a half years now. It's pretty hard to believe. And I'm a a busy, busy mom. So by day, um, I work for a local nonprofit as their marketing brand manager. And by night, I'm a blogger and I'm working to get certified as a holistic health coach. Oh my goodness. You do have a lot on your plate. That is a lot to manage. That's awesome. Good for you. Thank you. And you, you mentioned you've been married for nine years and can't believe it. I, it it's amazing how fast time goes. Yes. You know, you're in the beginning stages of just getting married and having kids. And it's like, oh, yay, all of the little milestones. And then you look up and you're like, where in the world did the time go? I know, right? So we're college students. So we've been together now, you know, I think it's like 17 years or something. It's just like, it's so incredible how time flies and how we just change so much along the way too. It's, we kind of grew up together, I feel like in a way, and now we're like really adulting. It's just crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I feel the same way. I actually met my husband when I was in high school and we started dating then. (laughs) I know. So we've been married, married for 20 years this month, which blows my mind. I'm like, am I old enough to be married for 20 years? I know. (laughs) I don't like to think about that too. And I'm doing the math. I'm like, wait, how many years? Oh my goodness. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Well, so tell us a little bit about, you know, in, in this journey of life, when did you become a Christian and how did that, how did that come about? Yeah. So I thought about this question quite a bit. So I grew up in a very Christian household, a very conservative Catholic Christian household. So I always knew, you know, God in a a way. But I feel like I really didn't know God until it was sort of on, I got to seek God on my own, if that Mm -hmm. makes sense at all. So my parents were very, and uh, I know they're going to be listening, so I want to be gentle (laughs) with this, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't a choice to to, to go to church. It was, we are going to church and you're going to like this. And you know, when you're a young adolescent, you don't always love that. And so there was a time in between high school and college where I really lost touch with my, my faith and with Christ. And then right after I got married, I just felt this longing to be close to him. And, you know, speaking of marriage, I feel like the very first Christmas I had with my husband, he bought me a daily devotional and I still have it. So, you know, over nine years old now, And he really helped usher me to know Jesus in a different way. So we changed churches and we changed the way we kind of looked at our faith. And now I just feel closer than ever to to our Lord. And I feel like it was really this journey all along. So it was great that, you know, I knew of God and that we had a Christian household growing up. But it was kind of once I came to my own terms and seeking Jesus and the Lord in my own way is when I really felt close to him. Mm, isn't that amazing? Just the way that he calls after us. Oh, it's when, so it's so gentle and so beautiful. And when we can look back at that in our life, and you know, especially with what almost like what he was preparing you for and what yes. you're about to go through, it's yes. like you knew he knew that you were not going to be able to take that journey without him. Oh my gosh, Jenny! I was seriously going to say the exact thing. I felt like he knew you're going to need me in these next, you know, years, these transitions, and in growing up and you need me now more than ever. And it was so gentle. Like you said that it wasn't scary. I never thought of like, oh, why do I need him now? You know, it was just so natural. And but he also just gave me this foundation that, that got me through for sure. Mm. So kind of walk us through this journey. So you, you 
were freshly married, started to really seek after Jesus and, and meet him in a different way than you've experienced him before. And then did you guys try to start having kids right away or did you wait a little while? Sure. Yeah. So we waited a little bit. So my husband is, um, he's a veterinarian. And so he had a lot of schooling and he even decided to go do a PhD after his DBM, his doctor of veterinary medicine. So we waited till kind of all that schooling was done. And so you can bet to believe that I was ready <laughs> to have kids, right? When, when we were done with that journey. And everyone around us is having babies. And it's just, you know, you kind of go through that wedding season when everyone's getting married and then you go through the baby season. And so Matt and I started trying to have a baby and we weren't able to conceive right away. And it definitely was not on my timing. And I was so deflated, you know, like, why am I not being able to get pregnant? It took us about a year. And I know that doesn't sound very long, but you know, when you want to get pregnant two years before that, it feels like a really long wait. And whenever you're in a waiting season and just not knowing what's when or when it's coming is always just super hard. And so we, we struggled with some infertility and they actually had just put me on a medication to help me. They, they found that I had PCOS. And so I wasn't ovulating on a regular basis. And they thought that was definitely contributing to um, the problems that we were having conceiving. But as we know, our Lord is so good and he is so trustworthy that right as they had prescribed the medication to me, it was almost like I felt this weird peace. And I was waiting and waiting to have my next period and I never got it. And it was because I was pregnant with Owen and the Lord just you know, brought us this, this little miracle and it was just beautiful. So that was, you know, we found out we were, we were having Owen and that was in early March. And then, um, my pregnancy was pretty uneventful, um, in terms of, you know, everything just seemed to be going really well and checkups are going really good. And then all of a sudden we were getting to the later half of the tri, the third trimester. And I went in and I had lost about four pounds. And I started measuring smaller and my blood pressure spiked. Mm. So long story short, um, we had to do a bunch of um, emergency ultrasounds and whatnot. And they said, you know, Jenna, you're going to have a very small baby. They were scoping that Owen was going to be three pounds, seven ounces. And at um, full term? Yeah, at 37 weeks. Wow. And so I was just scared. And didn't know what to do. I was at that appointment by myself because, you know, everything had been going right. And um, my husband was out in the field and I remember calling him sobbing and just being so petrified. And that was a Friday and they sent me home and they were going to do a scheduled induction on the Monday. But again, our Lord is so good. I just felt something off that weekend. So I went back to the hospital and they were doing monitoring. And they literally were going to unhook my monitor and they saw Owen's heartbeat plummet. And they said, no, 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 we're going to, you know, we're going to admit you right now. And so they did that. And long story short, Owen came and they induced me and I was in labor for about 18 hours, but unable to deliver based on that Owen's heart rate just kept plummeting anytime we would get into an intense contraction. So we did I call it a semi-emergency C-section because I wasn't unconscious, but it was, you know, they decided we were having this C-section and I was on the table within 20 minutes, I would say. I mean, it was very, very fast. And he came and we didn't know we were having a little boy. So he, it was a surprise. He was a little boy and he ended up being three pounds, 14 ounces. 
Wow. And um, 17 and a half inches. So I remember laying on the, on the operating table thinking, oh my gosh, I've never seen a baby this small. What am I supposed to do? So um, we had about a three-week stay in the NICU. And um, we were very blessed that Owen's, his organs and everything was really fully developed, but his, he wasn't able to eat on his own or to maintain his body temperature just due to how small he was. And so a lot of it was me, you know, trying, I had a pump and bottle for him because he would lose too many calories trying to nurse. So that took a real physical toll on my body because I was literally pumping and bottling every two hours because he could only take down you know, we started at literally five cc's because he was just so tiny. So long story short, we were able to bring him home at about three weeks and he was four pounds, nine ounces. Wow. So he was only in the NICU for three weeks. Yeah, it was pretty amazing. Once he was able to hold that body temperature and to drink the bottle on his own, they, they sent us home. And being a new mom, I remember just being pretty terrified. And one thing that will always stick out to me is, you know, we had to give him iron because um, of just how small he was and underdeveloped in some areas. And he choked the day we were leaving and he it flatlined the beeping. Oh my God. Um, and I just started sobbing and the nurse looked at me and she said, well, Owen's ready to go home, but I don't know if his mom is. And that just crippled me because being, I'm an achiever. I'm a person who's you know, able to really pull up the bootstraps and get things done. And so when she said that to me, I said, there's no way, you know, I'm letting my baby have to stay in here longer because of me, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I was funny how like those little comments can just like, oh, light a fire. Yes, it lit a fire. And I was just, I was bound and determined. I was like, nope, my baby's coming home. He hasn't been able to be home with us. And you know, I was just no, I was so upset. And I'll never forget the, the woman who said that to me. So uh, long story short, we brought Owen home. And, and I, remember, so I remember her saying that to me. And I remember her saying, the nurse saying, as we were leaving, now don't let this baby get sick because his immune system is already compromised. And if he gets sick, he's going to be back here. So, you know, you can't really have him around kids. You can't take him out places. I mean, it was very serious. And so we brought Owen home in the middle of November. And I don't know if you've ever visited Minnesota, but it's dark and very cold <laughs> in the middle of November. You, you're, it's a struggle season um, and, and just not being able to leave the house. And I'm naturally an extrovert. And so I remember, you know, bringing this small, small child home and just automatically really being in an isolated and isolated mode. And I was going back to work, you know, and nine weeks after that. And I just remember being scared. And I also remember a lot of feelings of shame because I felt like, what did I do or how did I not nourish my baby enough that he's this small and that, you know, if he gets sick, he's going to be in the hospital again. And there was just a lot of feelings of shame and guilt. And at that like time, you were just, blaming yourself. Yes, I completely was. And I just wasn't strong enough. I wasn't humble enough, I think I should say, to say that to somebody, to say, hey, I feel terrible, right? Like, I remember getting a pre-screen, you know, for mental illness before I left, but it was like, are you scared of um, your baby getting sick? And I'm thinking to myself, of course I'm scared. Who wouldn't be? My kid's four pounds, you know, also the circumstances and the questions just didn't align, I think, to flag anything that was wrong. So I just thought like, oh, this is normal, right? Like, I'm just, I'm going to get through this. So 
long story short, we brought one home. I had to go back to work after 12 weeks because I was carrying all the full insurance for the family. And it was very expensive to not go back and pay that all out of pocket. And Owen needed, you know, the best of insurance that we could get for him because we had to do right away. It was every other day visits to the hospital. We had some in-home nurses there checking on him and then monthly checkups and all those good things. And then long story short, we got into his first year and there was a lot of illness. There was a lot of illness in terms of, um, because he was compromised. So double ear infections, RSV, strep throat, pink eye. I mean, anything you could throw at this poor little guy, he, he got. And every time he got sick, it again was that other little dig of, well, what am I not doing right? How am I not how am I not serving my child that he's sick all the time? And now looking back rationally, I know it's, you know, he's in daycare, there's germs everywhere. It's, it's natural, it's normal. But at the time, it was just another layer to the fact that I didn't do something, I think, right. And did you share any of those feelings with anyone over the course of that first year? Like every time that he would get sick with something new, did you talk you know, to your husband about it or anything? I was so stressed out. And I feel like both Matt and I, were, we were so in survival mode, Jenny. Like we would, sometimes Owen was up two to three times in the night. And so we were taking turns on and off, on and off. And I felt like we were surviving. And I, I remember being emotional about it, but I think Matt just thought I was scared. I don't think, I never sh- shared like, I feel like shame or guilt mm. around this. And I even remember being in the doctor's office with Owen one time and they told me he had another ear infection. And I just broke down sobbing in this doctor's office, which is just not a normal thing. I mean, an ear infection is treatable, but I was so beaten down and they never said anything to me. I think I just made the guy uncomfortable to tell you the very truth. (laughs) And I was just, so I felt very deflated. And, you know, I was surrounded by a lot of women who were stay-at-home moms. My family was very traditional in that way that a lot of them were stay-at-home moms. So their babies just were not getting sick near as much as mine were, just different lifestyles. And nobody had ever brought home, you know, a baby that was at all compromised in any way. And I think it was like, I felt so much shame that I think if I would have said it out loud, then it became real, right? Like I was trying to pretend like this was a season or I was just going to get over it. And you could have even labeled it as feeling shame at the time, or do you feel like it was just overwhelm of emotion? I think I know I felt the shame in a way, and this is so personal, and I think I have shared this with a few people, but I didn't even want to post Owen's arrival because I felt so much shame that he was so small. Mm. I didn't even want to share it. That's how much shame I felt. And it wasn't that I was ashamed of him. I was ashamed of myself. Like, what didn't I do? And, you know, we found out later that it was a placental issue. The placenta just deteriorated. It couldn't nourish him. But I still took that all on. Like it was something I could have done. And it was really, really hard. And I don't know if I would have been able to necessarily actually label it at the time. But knowing now what I know, it's like, wow, I was so ridden with that guilt and shame and fear just constantly. It was just survival. I don't know um, how, I, how I navigated even that first year, to tell you the very truth. And then, you know, we were, we were in this survival mode. and that summer, we lost my aunt. She was 57 and she passed away from a long time. She had a chronic disease called scleroderma, which is um, not a very well-known disease, but we knew it was 
a terminal disease, but she had lived a long time with it. And she passed away and she orphaned two children. So she had a 17-year-old and a 13-year-old at the time. And her husband had passed away six months later or six months prior to that. I'm sorry. So yeah, so these two children were left without any parents. And that was just this insane trigger for me thinking about, you know, I started internalizing, like, what if something happens to me and Owen loses me? And all these thoughts started kind of coming to me. And then um, slowly we made it through the rest of that year. And I saw those two children at Christmas time and all the fear and the shame and the guilt and all these emotions flooded back to me about just my journey as a mom and just seeing these kids, you know, without a mom. And I just started having very intense anxiety and I would just constantly ruminate. I started to ruminate that I was going to get sick like their mom would. Like I would get a random rash and I would think, oh my gosh, do I have what my Aunt Linda had? Am I sick? Is something going to happen to me? Or what if something doesn't happen to me, but I do something and someone takes my baby away? And I just started going down this really dark, dark path. And that was when I finally knew I had to seek some help for this illness. So when you were starting to like have these, would you call them like bouts of anxiety? Yes. I would say they were just like almost debilitating anxiety where like I couldn't, like my mind would go into this kind of like rumination where it was really hard for me to come up out of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And when you were kind of going through those, because this was over, you know, the, a course of like a year and a half, right? Yes. Yes, exactly. So what did that look like for you as far as your walk with Jesus and your prayer life and, and all of yes. that? So, you know, you're, you're so good. That time, I feel like I had developed this really close relationship with the Lord, especially through the waiting season of the infertility and praising the Lord for delivering us from that. and and really being close with him through my entire pregnancy. And then even I recall being very intentional with being with the Lord, especially when Owen was in the hospital. But then at, through that year, I felt like I lost that. I felt like I lost that closeness with him. And I remember talking to one of my closest cousins when this was just really starting to become something I knew I had to deal with. And I remember saying to her almost verbatim, like, I feel like the Lord is, is telling me I need to get closer to him. I just remember telling her that, like, I feel like this is part of that, this journey. Like, this is the part of the reason why I need to deal with this. Like, I need to get closer to him and make him a priority again. Mm. Because it just fell off the wayside when I was really in that true survival mode. Oh, yeah. Yeah. One of that's hard too. I think that's something all new moms can relate to. Mm -hmm. Anyone who goes through a season of just, you know, craziness when you're just trying to survive and you're living in like this constant fog where it's hard to find yes. any time to even think straight, let alone, you know, be very intentional about a prayer life and all of these other things. Your prayers are just like, Lord, help me get through the day <laughs> um, exactly. in one piece. Yeah. Yeah. So what did that feel like when you decided like, okay, now I, I definitely need some help. Was that something that was easy for you to ask for help? Was it something that was more difficult for you? It was really, you know, so I'm a very, like I kind of mentioned, I'm a very, I'm much of a, an achiever and I'm a learner and the, the strength finder, right? And 
I was like, I can figure this out. Like, I'm going to just go online and I'm going to find the help I need and I'm going to do this, right? So I know I, I talked to my husband and I was like, I went, I recall, I went like literally right after the new year. Like I got through the holidays and like, the, I thought maybe it was the holiday pressure. I was just feeling really anxious, right? Right. And it didn't go away. And so I was like, okay, I'm, I'm going in. And so the initial step of going in wasn't necessarily hard for me because I felt like I had control. I felt like, okay, I'm going to go in. I'm going to let them know, you know, like what's going on. I'm going to, you know, if I need a medication, I'll get on a medication. Like, and I felt very much in control at that moment. But that was really the start of the worst six months of my entire life. Like I thought what I had gone through before this was hard. Undergoing the treatment was the hardest thing I had ever gone through and the scariest thing because what I've learned and what what made me so passionate about wanting to share this story is that I felt like, you know, I'm a pretty tech savvy person and I'm educated and I should be able to find resources to help myself and I should be able to get through this. But I found, and this was about four years ago now, that there just wasn't a lot of resources and there wasn't a lot of help. And as we know, mental illness is sort of stigmatized. So not a lot of people like to talk about it. But that was really the beginning of a long journey for me and a scary one. And so to, to try to give you a kind of a consolidated condensed version was I went in, it was a, a 15 minute appointment and I, I intentionally chose somebody who had mental illness as a specialty. Like I tried to, you know, do the right mm-hmm. things, right? And she gave me a prescription and I went home and I took it and I got sick. I mean, really sick. Like I was like shaky and sweating and I was just felt horrible. And I remember them saying like, well, it's kind of a trial and error. Like you never know, you know, what's going to be right or what's going to be wrong, right? And literally four doctors later, they had given me seven different medications, which had landed me in the emergency room for panic attacks, oh my landed goodness. me having to miss like multiple days of work because I just literally couldn't function. I kept going. I had tried four different therapists. And I was so depleted. And so by this point, I'm really not able to be sleeping or eating or really functioning um, because the medication that I'm on is not right and I'm not getting any kind of help. And um, it was so scary. And the only time I felt any kind of peace is when at night I would lay down on my pillow, you know, lay down for the day and I would, I would pray. And all I kept hearing was the word trust. And I knew he was there with me. I knew he was watching over me. And I just remember that was my one part of the day I would look forward to was that time I finally could like connect with him without having anything else in my way in terms of having to, you know, try to get to work or, you know, trying to do pickup or trying to do whatever I had to do. But I could just spend a little bit of time. And I just remember that was the only time I felt any kind of comfort. I would hear that word. I would just hear the word trust over and over again. And so that's what I I kept doing. Um, And by this point, you know, my family had to get pretty involved because it was getting pretty scary. I was Um, just going to say, did your husband, I mean, how how was his reaction watching you go to the emergency room and having just being physically ill? Yeah, he, I think was, um, you know, I think that was a, a real eye opener for him because he took me to the emergency room. This was on a Sunday. So the Friday prior, I called the doctor who had prescribed the medication. And I said, listen, I'm really not feeling myself. I know this is not me. I know I'm not okay. 
Like, this is not working. I remember telling him that very blatantly. And his response was, we're just going to up your dose. And I thought, what? And he said, just up your dose. The dose just must not be high enough. And so I did as he said. And then by Sunday, I was literally having panic attacks. And so they took me, he took me into the ER and they told me, they said, you know, I said, can you get a hold of my doctor? Like it was through the same system. And I said, I just don't think this medication is right. And they said, well, we can't tell you not to take it. Like he's the only one who can, you know, say what to do with that prescription. So if we can get a hold of him, we will. But if we can't, you know, you have two options. You can either admit yourself to like a psychiatric ward or you can go home. And I remember the woman said to me flat out, she said, you should go home because you're lucid enough to go home. And so they gave me another medication, like a sedative and sent me home. And I think that was the first time Matt understood like, wow, the system is broken for helping her. And now I see how she's getting so frustrated because I kept telling him like, I'm so frustrated. I just don't know what else to do. And it was that night after the, after that ER visit, I said, I said, I'm not taking this medication anymore. Like there, this is not doing what it's supposed to be doing. And if anything, it's, it's making me worse. And I said, there has to be a holistic approach to this, or there has to be an alternative way to treat this because I can't do this. And so by that point, I had lost almost 12 pounds and, you know, I, I was just a mess just a complete and utter mess. And I remember that guilt and that shame was just even more there than ever because now not only did I bring a child into the world, not perfect, right? Or quote unquote normal, but now I can't even be like a normal mom. So it was just, it was a very intense time. Wow. Wow. I can only imagine just the pressure and the Mm -hmm. stress of putting all of that onto your own shoulders yeah, And then trying to walk this out with, yeah. you know, not finding, like trying to find a solution, but then everywhere you try, the door just kind of gets slammed in your face. Exactly. That is like the best way to put it. It was like, I would do the research and I would think I'm doing all the right things. And yeah, just door after door. I would say I saw at least 12 medical professionals in that time. and nothing worked. And I felt like I just wasn't getting listened to and they weren't taking it seriously. And no one up to this point had linked that it was a postpartum issue because technically postpartum is only the first 12 months. And so when I inched out of that 12-month period, they didn't even think about asking, you know, like, oh, well, what was birth like for you? Or how has been being a new mom? I mean, and the reality was, is I probably had been dealing with a postpartum disorder, mental illness disorder from the very beginning. It just was untreated. And um, it just got to that point where it kind of, I hit rock bottom. And I honestly can tell you, once I hit rock bottom and I finally let go and I finally said, I don't know what else to do, that's when it all turned around. And that's when how I know it was Jesus who did this for me because there was just no way it would have happened any other way. Like there was, um, I started going to a new clinic that was um, an OB and this sweet nurse who I swear she was like an angel. She just never gave up on me. And she kept calling me um, to check in on me. And she finally said to me, she said, I have a therapist I think you need to go see. 
And at this point, I mean, I had talked to four or five therapists and I just told her, I was like, I don't know if I have it in me. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know if I have it in me to tell my story again. I was scared and I was tired and I just didn't know if I wanted to start over. And she said, no, I just know this is, you have to go. And it's so funny because I had found this woman's website prior, but she was waitlisted like three weeks out or something. And I was like, I cannot wait three weeks to talk to somebody, you know, at the time. But this woman went that extra mile and called her personally and got me on her, her docket. And that was when everything changed. And I went in and saw this woman, again, just petrified. I have tears in my eyes just thinking about this. And I went in and saw her and I told her what was going on. And she looked at me and she said, you have postpartum OCD. And I was like, what? She's like, you have postpartum OCD. She's like, that's like when you become obsessive and compulsive about, you know, different issues and fears around your child or yourself. And I had experienced so much of that thinking that I was ill or that I was going to become ill or I was going to lose my baby. And I never realized it. Like I I didn't know. Never even heard of that before. I know not a lot of people have. And so I'm just so thankful that you were, that you've asked for this series because I think it's so important for moms to know that this is a thing. I mean, I think it started out as anxiety, but it moved into like this OCD realm because I just hadn't been treated. And this woman, I've told her so many times, like you saved my life. And she did. And she helped me not only talk through everything and, you know, really look at the situation and release the, the shame and release the guilt. But she also helped me find other resources. And so I did not want to go see another doctor who was going to prescribe me a medication because I was like, they've used me as a guinea pig. Like I, my body cannot take any more of this trial and error, you know? And she said, I know her personally. I know she's not going to do anything that isn't in your best interest. And since I had established that trust with Krista, who is a faith-based practitioner as well. And I really liked that about her. And that helped me go to see her actually. She said, you know, I promise you, she will not do anything, you know, outside of your best interest. So I went and I brought my mom with, because at this point I was like, I'm not letting anyone give me medications that, you know, that isn't necessary or that we feel is right. And I just felt like I needed that backup. And this woman looks at me and she said, nope, we're going to do what I, what we call a DNA test. It's a simple swab of the cheek, Jenny, literally. They swab your cheek and they send it into this company called GeneSight and they look to see how your body metabolizes medications. So they can see how your body will literally react or if it will react negatively or positively to the medication you're prescribed. And this is all within the antidepressant kind of realm, mental health realm. And I took the swab immediately. Uh, The only thing she gave me was a very um, light, I wouldn't even call it a sedative. I don't know what it was exactly, but something to help me sleep. Because she's like, you need to sleep. Your body has to restore itself. And the only way to do that is to get sleep. And so by this point, I had dropped down from a full-time position to a 75% position in order to help restore and sleep more and just rest. So I said, okay, I'll try it. And so that did, that helped me sleep over the week while we waited for the results. And I got back in there and I brought my husband with and every single medication they had me on was one that I could not metabolize. 
So they categorize them in green, which is go. You're like, yes, they're, they're going to be good. They, it's safe for them. Yellow is there's probably going to be complications. And red is absolutely do not prescribe this to that patient. And every single prescription I had been on was yellow or red. Wow. And, and I just, I started sobbing in this appointment because I thought I was literally losing my mind. You know, before that, I was like, what's wrong with me? Everyone was like, well, you're just anxious to take medication or, you know, kind of making all these excuses. But finally it was black and white. Like, no, this is just my body not able to metabolize this. It's not me. You know, like it finally felt just less subjective because it wasn't on me. It was just, this is the, the results, right? That is so it, amazing. You know, when we, yes. when we talk about like just life in general, I always say like, sometimes when we get so overwhelmed with stuff, we have to like clear out the emotion and what we, how we are translating into what we're seeing into what is actually there. And it's almost like they did this for you, like on a medical basis by taking away the shame. And am I just not doing it right? Or am I like, what is wrong? Right. Communicating it right. I'm sure you asked all those questions and then it's like black, like you said, black and white, like your body physically can't take it. It's nothing to do with you. It's just black and white, the reality of what it is. And that's what I needed because it was, everything else was so subjective up until that point, you know, like, and then again, it felt self-inflicted. Like I was like, well, maybe I am just anxious taking the medication. So I was putting it back on myself. Like I was again, doing something wrong. And so I just remember it was like this release. I felt like when I said to myself, I'm done taking those medications before I felt a peace and I knew that was from the Lord. And then when I sat at that desk and saw that black and white, I felt that peace again. And I knew I was going to be okay. But up, I mean, it wasn't easy even after then because if you or your listeners know anything about like an antidepressant, they have a shelf life. So just because you stop taking, you can't just stop taking them cold turkey. You have to wean off and then they're, they're time released. So they, they last in your system longer. And since I wasn't able to metabolize them, they were even more backed up into my system. And I just wasn't doing anything to, to care for myself. You know, I wasn't drinking enough water. I wasn't eating right. I wasn't sleeping. I wasn't doing anything to help myself from a physical standpoint as it was. I mean, I was just trying to survive. But slowly, I kept going to that therapist, um, to Crystal. And at first, you know, I was, I had to go twice a week for many weeks as we, you know, weaned me off of all that, that medication and got me on the right stuff. And I saw her consistently. I started feeling better. And it took a good six months from when I first went into that initial doctor's appointment to one morning I woke up and I was like, oh my gosh, I almost feel, you know, 80% of who I am. And it was there that I was able to start looking then further outside of that. Like, what else can I do to honor my body and to nourish myself and to take care of myself? And so it was many pillars to really get to a state of health. It was exercise. And it was meditation and I used oils and it was food and it was my therapy, but it also was my faith. I mean, I feel like if I didn't have faith, I don't know what I would have done. And I still use my faith as a coping mechanism today. Like, you know, mental illness isn't something I feel like you can ever completely, um, it's not something you're going to get rid of necessarily. You can't cure it maybe, but you can cope with it and you can treat it and you can manage it. And that's kind of how I look at it. I look at, you know, this is something that I'm always going to be managing. And so I find if I'm ever starting to ruminate or worry about things that I just know aren't rational, 
um, or aren't real or, you know, belittling myself, I always say the Proverbs 3, verse 5 through 6, where it just says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways submit to him and he will make your path straight. And I can't tell you how many times I have repeated that in my head, like anywhere I am. It was like my tool that I could use. Like I know if I was getting anxious, I revert back to the Lord and I just remember his word and I stand on his promise. And I literally did it yesterday. I mean, it's just something that, you know, now it walks with me, which is just, it's so comforting to have that. And that's how I I tell other people that when they ask me like, well, what do you do for this? Or how do you handle that? I said, you need to find something that you're able to, you know, ruminate on that's positive for you, whatever that looks like, you know, if it's a saying or if it's a proverb or if it's a scripture or inspirational quote, whatever it is, you need to think on things that are true. And um, that was, that's still a pillar for me every single day. I think that that is so amazing that, you know, when you were in the thick of it, Mm-hmm. I mean, I, and you and you were sharing, you know, earlier that you would lie in bed at night and you would feel like God just kind of whispering trust. Mm-hmm. And I can only imagine how in the moment of hearing that and being like, trust what? Yes. <laughs> because like, I can't even see what I'm supposed to trust or how I'm going to trust, but yet that peace is there. And then now looking back and, and seeing this whole journey that you're on and now becoming, because you said you're, you're you're working on becoming a, a holistic nutritionist. Is that correct? Yeah. So I'm working on becoming a holistic health coach. And because I think of it as so much, the Lord does put us on these paths that we're just, we don't even realize we're on, right? And I think that yeah. this is one of those journeys because I remember being so dumbfounded that now looking back, nobody looked at the whole me. Nobody wanted to spend enough time with me to learn what was going on and to really look at all facets of your life. You know, like, are you experiencing any joy? Are you, are you moving your body? Are you sleeping? Are you, you know, like just very fundamental things we're never getting asked. And, you know, through this journey, there were so many gifts that I didn't realize I was receiving until now I'm on the other side. And, you know, one of them is I was traditionally a trained writer. That's what I was. Um, my degree was in creative writing. And um, I've worked in the media before and I left that position. I left working at the newspaper and I was like, I am done writing. I'm so done with this. Like, it's really tough to make it. And it's, you know, not what I want for my family and all these things. It was through this that I found my voice. And what I realized was, is I was writing the wrong things. I was writing other people's words when the Lord wanted me to be writing my own words. He wanted me to be sharing his word. He wanted me to be sharing my testimony and oh my gosh, it was scary. Like I remember starting that blog. It was just petrifying. But I just felt like if I could help one person, it was worth it, right? Like, And so he, he helped me find my voice. And it was just such a gift to step out with that. And he mended relationships that were ones that needed to be mended for years, but they needed to be broken all the way down to the bottom and then rebuilt. And he did that for us. And at the time, I just felt like, oh my gosh, I'm dealing with this too now. But it was such a blessing. And it was all in his you know, grace and mercy that this happened. So that's incredible. He is so good. He, he is really so good. is. That's amazing. Well, thank you so much for sharing this journey that he, he walked with you on and you walked with him on. And it's so incredible to see it come full circle and to you really kind of stepping into the purpose that he has had for you. 
Now, if yeah. other people out there are struggling with mental illness or they're anywhere in that path of that journey of not knowing yet that they need to reach out for help, but feeling that something is off, or maybe they have reached out for help and they're struggling, what advice would you, would you give for them? Yeah, I would say definitely talk with somebody trusted. Talk to somebody and, and let them know what's happening. And I would also say try as hard as it might be, try to take out any of that shame or guilt or fear and know that this isn't something you've done. It's not your fault. And know that mental illness is like any other illness. It's not, it's not something you choose and it's nothing to be embarrassed about. And I think we need to talk about it more and we need to make it okay to talk about because we're living in an age where we're seeing mental illness on the rise. And there's so many things that people don't even realize, you know, that can be, can be contributing to that. Like we're just completely saturated all the time with all the noise in the world and with the comparison and with everything that is happening in our fast paced life, that it's even easier to slip into some of these areas of mental illness that we just need to be strong enough and be willing to talk about it. And I would say start with a trusted friend and, and if you can seek out, seek out that professional help. And I would definitely recommend anybody who's going to take a medication to take that DNA test because even if they don't accept your insurance, the total out of pocket, I think is like $300. And I'm sure there may be some financial aid or something that you could get, but it will save so much heartache and so much, so much of that trial and error. And I think that it would just be much more healthy and nourishing for your body to not put it through that. So, well, yeah, when you're talking about like how much, you know, work you missed and the emergency visit, I mean, like that $300 is nothing compared to all of that. Exactly. Exactly. And it's just not worth you being a guinea pig. You don't need to be a guinea pig. (laughs) That's what I always tell people. You don't need to be, please don't. So I, I definitely, anytime I have anyone ask me about, you know, I think I need medication. I always say that's okay and don't feel ashamed. I feel like there's, again, that stigma that it's like, well, if you had diabetes or if you had even like strep throat and you needed an antibiotic, nobody would second guess you. Like it's literally a chemical, like there's a chemical imbalance in your body and it's just helping you to get back in balance. And that's all it is. But I understand it was really hard for me to get there as well. So a lot of times when I talk about treatment for mental illness. I also say it's, there's not one magic pill. Literally, there isn't. You have to look at your whole self and how you're nourishing all aspects of your body and your mind. Mm, beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah. Well, I, again, thank you so much for sharing your story. It's absolutely beautiful to see what God's hand in your life and what he's doing for you. And I also love that throughout your story, Christmas was a part of it. Yeah, it really (laughs) was. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, you know, when obviously, you know, when we look at it as just like a calendar holiday, and it's very different than probably what it was originally intended to be, Mm -hmm. um, or what we could even make it to be, but yet God's light was shining through for you in those seasons. Now I have three questions for you that I'm asking everyone in this series, because it is Christmas time. So Mm -hmm. share with us one way that you help to keep Jesus as a focus for your family this time of year. Yeah, so having um, two little boys, five and two, I we like to talk about Christmas that it's Jesus's birthday. So I keep the focus on that. That's what this is. That's what Christmas is. So we talk a lot about 
you know, that we obviously they know it's Christmas, but instead of that, I always try to bring in that Christmas is really Jesus's birthday. So we're always saying Jesus first and having them think of it that way and that we're celebrating him. And that's what makes this so special. And so, yes, they get excited about the presents and yes, they like all the hoopla of it. But I always try to just continually, even when we're just talking in passing, that that's what this is really truly about. So this past weekend, we were even talking about you know, making that birthday cake for, for Jesus, because that's what we're celebrating. And so for where they are and trying to meet them, kind of where they are intellectually, that seems to work for them. They kind of understand that part of it. So that's really what I've been focusing on this season and, and past seasons as well, as soon as they kind of understood, was really focusing on what Christmas actually is. Yeah, it's been really great to talk to them about it in that way. And um, my five-year-old's in a little um, Lutheran preschool. It's so adorable. And they really talk a lot about Jesus and that he came and, and died for our sins. And so he's starting to understand that. So we talk about how special it is to celebrate him that way. Oh, I love that. So simple yet so powerful to just to be able to change that focus. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Not make it too complicated for them. I love it. All right. So question number two I have for you. I love Christmas music. Like I'm already listening to it and it's <laughs> November. Um, what's your favorite Christmas song? I have a toss up and they're both oldies, but goodies. And I love Silent Night. I mean, I just think of that, you know, that Christmas Eve service when the lights are down and the lights are going and the candles are lit. And so Silent Night will always be something special to me. And um, I love O Kamali Faithful. I just love those mm. very traditional songs. And I, I sing them to the boys. And I sing them to the boys in my dark seasons as well. Like I just, <laughs> they, yes, they get yes. them. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I love the older Christmas songs as well, like the more classic ones. I think my yes. favorites are Mary Did You Know mm. and yes. um, Little Drummer Boy. Love it. I love Mary. Did you know it's so powerful? I can get goosebumps just listening to them. I cry sometimes listening I to that too. song because it's just so powerful. Yeah. I know okay. Silent Night gets me every time. Like <sighs> it's crazy. I can't I, I can't go through it without a little tear for sure. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So my last question I have for you. What is your tip to help other moms out there make the Christmas season really awesome, but just very simple? Yes. So I had, this is how I would sum that up. I would say, celebrate with intention, but yet remove expectation. So, amen. Yeah, I think, you know, a lot of this is my intentions are really instilling those traditions with my boys, rather, if it's, you know, we do a gingerbread house every year and we go for a light tour every year. And, you know, we have those, those kind of cornerstone holiday things but really truly removing any kind of expectation of how it's supposed to play out because it's real life and it's not a, an Instagram feed and it's not a Pinterest board. It's, it's really what's happening. And so that's what I'm going to try to go into this season with is like, I'm setting my attentions of what I, you know, of what I want to do, but I'm also going to remove basically all expectations. So I'm not <laughs> setting us all up for disappointment or yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, so good. So good. Well, Jenna, thank you so much again for coming on and sharing your story and being so open and vulnerable by helping other women with their walk with Jesus. And especially if they're walking through this journey and, and having mental illness. I think it's so amazing what you're doing and helping to shine some light. And I certainly learned a lot just from talking with you about oh, some things that I never even knew that were there. So if people wanted to learn more about you, I know you mentioned you have a blog. Where can they follow you? 
Yeah, you can follow me at jennaallerson.com is my website. So um, I'm always blogging there and you're going to find some good um, health and wellness tips there as well as I do host um, a time or two as well about mental illness and just things that I have found to um, help with coping. And also even I've been trying to think about ways to give your loved ones some tools on how to support you as well, because I think being a caregiver can always be hard too. So there's all sorts of good goodies on the site. Um, I'm also on Instagram at Jenna Allerson, just Jenna Allerson, J-E-N-N-A. A-L-L-E-R-S-O-N, no spaces or, or periods, and then um, Facebook as well. And I would welcome anybody who's walking a path like this or just feeling like they have questions or just don't know what those next steps are. I would be happy to talk with you and try to help you find some local services for yourself or um, share some tools, some virtual tools or digital tools that I have found that helped me as well. Um, I'm more than happy to do that. Oh, that's amazing. That's amazing. Well, thank you so much, Jenna. Thank you. Thank you for all you're doing and for keeping the light on where this season should be. It's so amazing. And I appreciate you every week. So thank you. Thank you. (laughs) I just want to thank Jenna again for sharing her story. And I pray that God would use something that Jenna had shared to really spark something in your heart. And that whatever it is that you are going through, whatever journey that you are on right now in this season, you would look towards our Lord and you would invite him to walk through this path with you. Now, while Jenna's testimony is really, really powerful, she is the first of five in this series that will carry us through the entire holiday season. I'm so excited to share the other stories with you as well. And if you are looking for more of those practical tips, things like that, that we are normally all about here at Your Life Rocks, I invite you to check out our lifestyle guide. It is a free resource inside of the Your Life Rocks app that you can find if you are an Apple user or if you're an Android user. It's available in both of the app stores. Now, our lifestyle guide is a monthly publication that provides you tips and inspiration in all eight areas of life that God has called you to. In there, you'll find great things to help you grow in your faith, your marriage, parenting, career, health, home, finances, and friends and fun. One of the things that you'll find in the December Lifestyle Guide are some tips to help you move closer to Jesus in this holiday season. So I hope that you go and you check that out. I want to thank you so much for spending time with us today. And until next week, keep building a life that rocks. Bye. Hey, just because the episode's over doesn't mean we have to stop hanging out. Head on over to Instagram and follow me there. You can find me at your.life.rocks. Or if you're more of a Facebook kind of girl, join our community of working Christian moms just like you. You can search Your Life Rocks over on Facebook and connect with us there. And if you're ready to truly create lasting balance and get results in your life, maybe it's time for you to join Life Balance Membership. Download the Your Life Rocks app in iTunes or in Google Play. You can upgrade to the membership right inside the app. And if you're looking for more resources to help you create more balance, head on over to yourliferocks.com.